Welcome to this uh, new podcast of Data Minds, um, a podcast where you get to know the, the people behind uh, the data science scene here in Belgium. Uh, and today I have with me uh, Lynn Michiels. Um, she'll talk all about herself, uh, what she's working on and uh, what fascinates her in this hopefully fascinating uh, episode. Welcome, Lynn. Thanks, Chris. Thank Happy you. Happy to be here. Uh, so, so first, as an introduction, can you, for the viewers who don't know you yet, can you introduce yourself in, in five minutes? Who are you? What do you do? Uh, stuff like that. Uh, okay, so um, Lynn Michiels. I uh, currently work at a company called Frumo, mm -hmm. which is a startup spin-off of the University of Antwerp. Uh, and we work on uh, recommender systems and personalized search for media companies and retailers and uh, um, companies like that. Um, I, I, I'm from here, from Leuven. Yay. Uh, <laughs> I'm not from here. I, I'm an immigrant here. So oh, I, yeah. I know, I know. I know. No. But yeah, you're from here, right? And um, what do you do at, uh, at Frumo then? Yeah. Uh, well, I well lots of things really, but uh, mostly I I maintain two of our biggest clients, one in media and one in retail, um, and and it spans that spans everything from like a bit of data engineering, software engineering to data science, data analysis. So we everyone at Frumo kind of goes like full stack, <laughs> okay, full cool. data stack, um, cool. which is really fun and challenging yeah. at times, but uh, it's really. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. So um, before you were at Frumo, can you share a bit about your background and your history? So what did you study yeah. and how did you get here? Sure. So uh, I graduated here from KU Leuven uh, about, I think it's three years ago now, yeah. um, with a master's in uh, engineering in mathematical engineering, which is like a subfield that no one's ever heard of, but it's somewhere in between maths and computer science and electrical engineering. I didn't know that actually. I thought you graduated computer science student. No, I, I keep telling everyone that because <laughs> otherwise I'm not accepted into the club of software engineering. No. Th this no. is on the record, Ali. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So mathematical engineering. All right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and I, I chose that like when I was 18. I, I decided I wanted to do mathematical engineering because my plan had been to go and study mathematics, but my high school uh, math teacher she told me like nah maths that's that's too much theory for you you need like applications you need to be able to do something and so you should study engineering okay so i did all right um, and and so what kind of topics did you see then what were the main the, the, the main courses that that you took in mathematical engineering is that something i would understand to begin with because i'm not a math yeah, genius sure. yeah why not um I, a lot of it is about systems engineering. Hmm. I don't know if that's familiar to you, but it's everything concerning like um, controlling mechanical systems, like or, or electrical yeah. systems. Like you have a certain impulse that's going into a system, and you want to manipulate that, or you want to like ha have a feedback loop in some kind of like. Um, a lot of it is used in like big power plants or uh, uh. chemical plants, where you have this system and you have to control the temperature and then you have this control system in place to make sure that the temperature is always at the right level yeah yeah. yeah so yeah. a lot of it was yeah. um but regarding that sorry no no sorry so it's but it's more than theory right it's, it's more than just building building a mathematical model is also implementing that system that, that creates well, the feedback loop not part. in university but no? <laughs> okay. no well yeah you, <laughs> you build the model as yeah. in you you design the system yeah. to be able to do that 
I never, like in university, we never, oh, we did actually, we had one practicum where we had to control an inverted pendulum. Do you know what that is? I've heard of it, but I don't pretend to know what it is. Okay, so you have the pendulum and, and yeah, it swings right, like yeah. this, yeah, yeah, but then you have the inverted pendulum and your goal is to keep it upright. So ah. it starts from an upright position and then you have this system in place that can move in any direction. Okay. And your goal is to give it enough impulse so that it stays upright. And uh, why do we care about that? Is that well, we don't. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like they could put like a chemical plant in okay. the lab. So okay. the inverted pendulum is as close as we got. Okay, cool. Uh, but it was really fun to do because the thing would like... The most fun part about the practicum is that you notice how things can go wrong in real life. Yeah. Like, so if the inverted, if our model to control the inverted pendulum didn't work, the thing would crash onto the table and we would have to solder everything on again because everything was broken. And yeah, 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 yeah. So that's good. Yeah. yeah, all right. Cool. But so from that world of mathematical engineering, you ended up in data science? So what was that Yeah, well, so that was also kind of a part okay. of it. You had that, you had simulations, which is really like dynamics, like for uh, vehicle design, like is this optimal with yeah, regards yeah. to like yeah. wind speed and everything? Um, but then there was also a part of it that was data science, um, yeah. very theoretical. Um, and I really took an interest in that, like, I think in my first year of my master's, because I thought it was fun. Like, it was the most practical thing you could do. You could see, like, it, it was like immediate gratification, like your model worked or it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's probably why I chose it. And you didn't need to solder anything. You could just... No, no, no. It was easy to... <laughs> All right, cool. Um, yeah. Um, and then so you, you graduated about three years ago and then, then what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then I went on to work at a company in Antwerp, a startup as well, Sentience. I'd always have had like a soft spot for company, uh, for startups. Yeah. Everyone always told me that I wouldn't like work in a big company because I have too many opinions and stuff like that. But well, <laughs> as far as I know, you haven't worked in a big company yet, right? No, I haven't. Yeah, so, so. I, I would really yeah. like to at some yeah. point. But, yeah. Well, they're all hiring, right? So, I mean... No, yeah. <laughs> but somehow, I told myself that before I joined Flumo, like, now yeah. I want to work in a big company and then somehow I ended, ended up, up in a small startup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so. And so, Sentience, what's the story there? What, what, How did you get in touch with them and what intrigued you about Sentience? Um, and what is Sentience? For the people who don't know, what, what are they doing? Uh, so, Sentience, um, well, I've, I've left like uh, two years ago, so I don't know exactly what they're doing today. Mm. But uh, when I joined them we were building like they called it the internet of you it was mm. a system that would um, use the sensors on your mobile phone gps uh, accelerometer uh, gyro gyrometer mm. and then uh, use those to build profiles of people like cool. are you outgoing or are you like a do speed when you drive or are you a very like careful driver stuff like that yeah yeah i see yeah okay and um, how, how did you get well how did you get to know them did you see them at a job fair you knew people who worked there and, and uh, well I, I I don't remember actually I uh, think it was mostly I found them on LinkedIn because they were much smaller than than they are now okay and I was just scouring LinkedIn for like data scientist positions and yeah. sentient seemed nice it was like it was a startup the people that had 
that, that worked there and that started it seemed like knowledgeable people and yes. I was just interested. <laughs> they are. I don't know them personally, but I guess they are, yeah. Well, yeah, so um, I, I, and yeah. then what really convinced me to work there was their, um, their test uh, to, like, they had this technical test that was, that was pretty difficult. Yeah. Um, I, I think I worked on it for like three days. And wow. then, yeah, it was, it was, and then like 12 hours every day, it was a lot of work. Uh, but it was super fun working on it. It was an, an interesting challenge. I actually felt like yeah, alive. This is for you me. Know, yeah, yeah, this is for me. And, and so, yeah, that's why I decided to work there. And they liked my tests, so they hired me. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, yeah. That's nice. All right. Um, and then after Sentience, you went to... Uh, Presley. Presley, yeah. yeah. I, I was blanking out on it. So the yeah. commute to Sentience was a bit long. Yeah. yeah. To Antwerp every day. And then I decided to come back closer to home. Yeah. And uh, Presley had this. So at Sentience, we did a lot of fun stuff. But I, I noticed that I took a real interest in natural language processing. Yeah. And there wasn't much natural language processing to do at Sentience. Uh, and then so my eye fell on this project uh, from Presley where they wanted to detect spam and like yeah. limit the number of emails that uh, you would be sent, like promotional yeah. emails, because you weren't interested and it didn't, didn't make sense to send them to you. And I was like intrigued, so I talked to the people there and they convinced me to... Uh, join uh, Presley for that project specifically. Cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. And then in the meantime, somewhere in between, you also won um, a hackathon of GSK, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, <but>, uh, <laughs> You're forgetting. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, that was that was not long after I left Sentience, I think. Yeah. yeah. I won it together with one of my uh, former colleagues at, mm -hmm. uh, at Sentience, Joren. Joren, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'd always been talking about doing hackathons, but there never seemed to be any time for it when we were at Sentience. We were always working. Yeah, yeah then, um, I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah and then yeah. the hackathon was like uh, two or three days in January and, and Presley, like everyone at Presley was on vacation then and Jordan was a freelancer. So we thought, why the hell not? Like yeah, the prize money is 25K. Not bad. For and three days of work, yeah. Yeah, for three <laughs> days of work. I'm like, okay, I'll have it. Yeah. Uh, and so we entered and it was a lot of fun and yeah we did win one of the challenges yeah cool and what did you build um we built like a semantic search engine uh, oh. semantic is that you don't just type in keywords it, it has like some understanding of language in the sense that you can uh, ask a question they the way you would ask a person like if i if i want you to tell me directions to uh, the church yeah. i'm not gonna tell you church near me as you would do to google maps but you would ask like hey sir nice yeah. to meet you would you be able to tell me how to get to the nearest church from here and our search engine you would be able to ask like similar questions to that and it would still come up with the right answers cool and we built it for their like intraweb the the internal storage yeah. of all their documents but i guess that's a huge repository right yeah and i mean a it's a company. multinational yeah. company and there's yeah. so many documents so yeah Nice. That right. was very cool. And so, and then in the end, so you ended up at Frumel. So, despite of the bad commute, you decided to go back to Antwerp. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know. I, I didn't think I would do that, but yeah, they somehow lured me, and then then yeah. I just kept going. All right. So Frumel. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Um, yeah, you explained a little bit already that they do recommend the systems uh, in media in retail. Uh, 
if I'm if I'm a potential client of Frumo, why why do I care about recommender systems? What's what's good about them? What's the value that they bring? Um, ooh, difficult question. Um, <laughs> to begin with, <laughs> I th I think well, it, it's really not that easy to say because recommend like the way I've seen it being done like mm -hmm. so far. I think uh, well, we have a number of clients now and every client is a little bit different mm -hmm. their use case for recommender systems is also different vastly different even and okay. a lot of the work we really have to do is first understanding like why do you want to have a recommender system is it because like your management gave you a budget for ai and you're now spending it on recommender systems then great it's probably the best way to spend it <laughs> but still like why yeah. do you want it what do you want to achieve from it yeah indeed, indeed. and and what i notice very often because I, I also talk to clients a lot is that because there's so little knowledge about recommender systems that very often they have no idea they're like okay so Zalando is doing it and Amazon is doing it and Netflix is doing it. So it has to be good, right? Yeah. yeah. We've got to have it. And just then, follow the big boys. Yeah, yeah, just follow the big guys. But the, yeah. the big guys have a vastly different use case for recommender systems than they do. And in their case, like small numbers really matter. Like if Spotify can get like a 1% increase in like songs you listen to because they have a user base of I don't know, 60 million users yeah, or more? Huge. Like yeah. 1% is huge. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. But like Belgian retailers and media companies, they're, they're nowhere near numbers like that. So like it's very, the, the way they need to approach recommender systems is very different from the way that like the big guys should be approaching it. Yeah, because the, the impact the impact of such a system has to be bigger. You're saying that, right? If you yeah. if you're only getting a one percent increase, then then in the the Belgian market being as small as it is, nobody really cares about exactly. What, yeah, yeah, very yeah. often we see that clients they yeah. want to do a proof of concept with us. I don't know when proof of concept started being the hit in especially in AI, but it's always like we want to do a proof of concept with you, and and that's great. But then for the proof of concept, we get like this really small box on a page that nobody really reaches yeah so yeah. i mean if we can get an increase of i don't know like 300 percent conversion on that small box that's great but like added up in the big numbers of the website on the whole it's it's nothing yeah. it is well it is one percent hmm. but one percent for them is not the same as one percent for spotify so a lot of it is because they don't know it and but they know they need it they will try with the proof of concept, but then they don't try hard enough or they don't trust it enough. And then you yeah. end up in this situation where you you can't really get any benefit from it either. Well, some benefit, but yeah. very little. Yeah, yeah, I see, I see. And do you have a, like in an ideal case, what, what what's an ideal way that a client uh, onboards a recommender system then? Is it first trying out on a, on a smaller site or go all in straight away or what would you do? I would actually go all in hmm. straight away. Uh, and I know that may sound weird, but well, wait, let me rephrase. Yeah. I would go in like all the way yeah. from the beginning, but I would start collecting data much earlier. So I would start like six months before you want to go live on your homepage or something. Then I would start collecting data because a lot of the problems you see with recommender systems in the beginning is because there's too little data 
Mm. And if you can bypass that mm -hmm. and just start off with like a good amount of data already, mm -hmm. or if you have a backup of you know your historical data, yeah. then it's much easier. And there's not that much that can go wrong, yeah. actually. But the funny thing with recommender systems is that uh, well, the way we do it, at least we do it based on user behavior. So no, nothing content based. Like it's more like if you like this, then you'll also like that. Okay, and so, so what that means? So for people who don't know recommender systems, you're only looking at am I similar to this other user? Then I might also be interested in what he or she likes. Yeah, well, th that is one way of approaching it. But okay. we do it. You can also do it like: is this item similar to this item based on? Like everyone yeah. who has been watched, like yeah. viewing these two items. So you can do it from the user perspective, perspective like is this user similar to that user? Yeah. You can also do it from the item perspective. But the difference between what we do and uh, content-based methods is that we really use like all of the data, click data from users on your website. Whereas content-based stuff, uh, content-based algorithms use the stuff that you like type in like if you tag your content with uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so for for a newspaper that would be like if you have a tag regional or um politics um yeah news and then you might also be interested in other politics stories yeah, and so exactly. here's the the five latest and yeah. Yeah, okay but the problem yeah. with that is that you have like well you have human error or human preferences like yeah. ask two people to like yeah. um give tags to two items and yeah they'll be entirely different because one person reads politics and the other reads sports and yeah. so and what we do is really just whatever your users say is similar we'll use that as well yeah i see i guess also content based that also means that well with tagging you can have some broad categories but you can never be like i am interested in i don't know um, politics in southeast asia or um, i don't know yeah. Uh, how they create boats it's limited by the effort you want to do yeah, as yeah. a human and yeah. most of the time you don't have time to create new categories too because yeah. like new categories keep appearing there's always something new to be talking yeah. about yeah. but then the approach that, that you guys take or that frugal takes uh, i mean if you if there's something you can't share then don't share it but the, <laughs> <laughs> the approach that you take is that process a lot of clickstream data if yeah. you work in media and retail that also means even for Belgian standards that you get a tsunami of data on you yeah, before you can even begin right yeah. what are some of the techniques or what are some of the things you do to, to crunch through all the data well uh, a lot of it is just we we try to stop bad data at the source kind of that, okay. that is kind of our approach and we have this uh, like pretty simple system in place to just take on as much data as we pos uh, like possibly can and then mm -hmm. just process it in a standardized format into our database like yeah. all the time so um, the specific specifics of it is just API then like uh, um, pops up which yeah. is like Kafka for Google Cloud Platform yeah. and then there's a process that's continuously running like crunching all that data and putting it into the database, doing some final mm. checks and validation. And then the actual algorithm runs once it's all in the database or how yeah. does it work? Yeah, yeah and then exactly. is it something like every every night it trains, it learns new stuff and then it updates the, the model or, or? No, 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 not at all. So what we see is that um, something that's also very important in recommender systems is that you're always up to date because like new content appears 
constantly it doesn't yeah, like course. it doesn't yeah. always appear overnight and if you're lagging behind so far like even if it's just you updated your model at midnight and then at lunchtime they they launched a new show or something then yeah, everyone you miss is that. Yeah, yeah, yeah you miss those clicks and those are very important clicks of course so you don't want to be doing that you want to be like always in sync now always in sync is still like kind of challenging because then you have to have your model updating while it is all also surfing which is kind of difficult and yeah, contradictory yeah, yeah. so what we do now is we have like we we update it as fast as we can depending on the client that's different and, and the needs and, yeah. yeah and the needs yeah. it's different and yeah. then you have like we call that the computation stage and then you also have yeah. the application stage and that's just the model surfing constantly and then as soon as a new model is ready we just swap, swap the models and yeah. you're still alive and yeah. I, I guess in the end what you produce to serve your models it's also some kind of api yeah that i i visit one of the websites of your clients and you go this is user id this content id that yeah and then you you run you run exactly. your model and you return show show these five items exactly yeah and and it's it's even more complicated than that because usually we use like we use a, a couple models of course but you can do different things with it. So if you're, you want to have a, uh, like a box on your homepage saying like these are the trending items of the moment, you can do that by querying the same API as you would query if you want to see like, I've just finished watching this, what should I watch next? Yeah, yeah stuff like that. So it's yeah, a lot yeah. of it is configurable. So yeah, you just yeah. supply like, I want to have this configuration of that. Mm. Now give me my recommendations. Okay. And so keeping that system alive from data ingest to cleaning, mm -hmm. uh, model training, model scoring for multiple clients, I guess that's not, it's not a trivial part of the, of the job. No, it's, it's actually yeah. one of the biggest parts of the, of the yeah. job, really, because yeah. that, that is like everyone thinks it's like, it's the algorithm that's going to save us all, but it's not. <laughs> it's, it's not. <laughs> well, it's not just the algorithm, I guess. No, no, no. I mean, you have to have a good algorithm, yeah. of course. Yeah. But uh, a lot of it is, it is indeed about being able to answer in time, for example. Yeah, like yeah. We, we try to keep our response times under 100 milliseconds, which is really, really low. But yeah. then if you have to imagine, like we reply with, you should recommend the user this, but at that time, our client still has to go to their own data storage to like find the right image URL or yeah, yeah, see yeah. if there's a discount on the site and stuff like that. So yeah. it's not just... And usually, apparently, people, like, if a page takes longer than 300 milliseconds to load, they just click away. They're like, nope, too long. We're, yeah. we're that spoiled. Yeah, and yeah but, but that's reality, no, right? Yeah, yeah, right. So, so you have 100 milliseconds to do your thing? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and so there's, a, there's probably a lot more complicated models that could perform even better than the yeah. ones we have right now. But if they can't answer in under 100 milliseconds, I'm sorry, but we're never going to use them. And what, what are some of the, the, let's say, the technologies or the techniques that you use to, to achieve that? Is it something, something in particular that you say, well, it was too slow in the past, but now we do this and that, that helped us a lot? Or? No, not exactly. I think everything, like whatever we build, we just always keep performance in mind. Like yeah. It's, yeah. it's not something we do a lot of caching, of course, never yeah. on the actual recommendations, but everything else we try to cache. Like... Yeah. Uh, what did you watch in the past or who are, like the user ID stuff like that or extra information on the items stuff like that or everything we try to 
cash. Um, and yeah, I think it's just, it's part of the way we design things. So there's nothing mm -hmm. specific that I can point out that we do, but with every decision we make about the platform, mm -hmm. we always think about performance first. Okay. At some point we, um, so we have a lot of systems interacting with each other to be able to get that recommendation for you. Mm -hmm. And uh, initially they would communicate over just JSON messages. Yeah. Um, but we use typed languages, so every time that Jason had to be serialized and deserialized and everything, and like it's expensive. So, yeah, and yeah. it was super expensive, and that was like a clear bottleneck for us. Um, and so we replaced that with just uh, Apache Thrift. Ah, yeah, yeah. It's a Thrift and, communication. Yeah, and now it's so much faster. Yeah. And we're looking because we're on Google Cloud Platform. We're now yeah. looking at using uh, gRPC instead. Yeah. Yeah, well, I say yes, but I've never worked with it, so no. I, I know that it exists. No. That's it. <laughs> well, I haven't worked with it either, but see, that's a lot of the. So a lot of it is like experimenting. If we see that we're starting to become slow or something yeah. is wrong, we have to solve that problem like oh. in the moment, cool. and that's really fun. Are there, are there other things on Google Cloud Platform where you say oh, we're really happy with this service, or this is something that I would use again in the next project? Uh, well, PubSub is really nice. Yeah. I, I used to be like, I'm a big fan of everything Apache. So Apache Kafka was like, Apache Kafka. Um, yeah. But PubSub is like, it doesn't guarantee in order delivery. Mm -hmm. But like in all other aspects, it's quite nice because your Kafka, you have to manage it and you have to make sure that everything is, you know, like even I think if you want to have multiple um, consumers, you have to partition it right and make sure that everything is good. With PubSub, it's just like, Here's your topic. Yeah. Here's your subscription. Consume. Want to have more than one consumer? Okay, we'll make sure there are no duplicates in the stream. It's yeah. it's really really easy to use. Yeah. And then the drawback that you mentioned, because I saw that at some of our clients as well, that you you can't guarantee ordering. Yeah. Has it has it bit you? Has it has it been a, an issue? Or if you have you been able to work around it? Well, for for most uh, for most things, it's not an issue. But for one thing, it is about it. Uh, is when clients send us updates of items coming in. So we try to be always up to date. So also new items are coming in and um, yeah. we want to make sure we process process them as, as fast as we can. Yeah. And then if they send an update twice and they're like, they're swapped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, then you really get the big, previous yeah, update. Yeah, then you really get. So we can't use it for that. Well, we're, we're mm. kind of trying because uh, Google now also recommends a few ways of like, working around the problem okay. Okay. so i'm looking into using that but yeah it, it hasn't really been that much of an mm. issue i thought it'd be a much bigger mm. issue than it is yeah and indeed the alternative uh, we, we had the exact same problem with another client the alternative is running your own kafka well as an engineer that's a lot of fun yeah but you spend a lot of time <laughs> on building and maintaining that yeah exactly thing. like i like it <laughs> i like doing all those yeah. things but Sometimes it's just not practical. Yeah. Dear boss, can you give me three months so I can configure the hell out of this thing? Yeah, Thank you very right. much. Yeah, it's like, yeah. yeah, and yeah. It's, I'm, I'm really happy with all of the managed services, really. Yeah. Like, they launched Cloud SQL a couple months ago. Okay. Before that, we had to have our own managed uh, Postgres database. And yeah. then, like, stuff starts to happen. Like, ah, it's, like, it's becoming too much traffic for just this one database. We need a read replica or something to, yeah, yeah, to work off. And then, yeah. like... This is going to take us a lot of time. With Cloud SQL, it's just like, ah, oh, I need a replica. Done. Yeah. yeah. And that's just 
Postgres is a service in Cloud SQL. Yeah. yeah okay. You can like the other cloud MySQL providers. Have, yeah. yeah it's yeah. it's just the same as like what it, is it? No. What's the name again? It's not Aurora. No. R RDS. RDS. RDS relational Amazon, database yeah. service in Amazon. Oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm mostly really happy with all of the cool. managed services and we're trying to use more of them. Yeah, can imagine. Yeah, yeah this, this, I have the same philosophy that as an engineer, I like to tinker with stuff. Yeah. But well, for your clients, they expect you to deliver business value, right? With the least amount of effort. So yeah, exactly. the path of least resistance goes definitely through which kind of managed services can I use and how can I use them best? And and only then, if, if there's not a managed service that can do what I needed to do, only then I would look like, ah, should I build it myself? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. I, 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 I always yeah. try to have the opinion of like, if it's not our core business, we shouldn't build it ourselves. Yeah. And I think like for you guys, you're data engineering as a service, basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. It makes sense for you to start building stuff, but we're really an, an algorithms company. We're yeah. trying to build recommender systems for you. It's not our job to, yeah. like... No, indeed, but there's a, that's something I've noticed um, through a lot of companies, also clients of ours, that they, they have a hard time distinguishing between what's your core business, what should you invest all your engineering time in, and what, what should you buy off the shelf. Yeah. Like, like, and there can be simple things. Like I had discussion. Like some some companies I meet, they they really insist on having running their own Git server. So why would you do that? Yeah, just go to GitHub.com, pay what what is it, ten dollars per yeah, user per exactly. month. That's a solved problem, right? Or or I don't know, we need yeah. Jira and Confluence on premise. Really, you want to run why? your own Jira yeah. server? I, I mean, that that's not worry about Jira, right? And and. But, and and that is those are the obvious cases, right? But then there's also a lot of non-obvious cases, like like if if we go for I need a real-time um, pub sub thing, do I need it managed or do I want to build my own or deploy my own Kafka or do I take mm -hmm. Kafka as a service? Very often, a lot of our clients go way too far. No, no, we'll set it all up ourselves. Then we have full control. Yeah, it's not really true, right? It's you don't, and, and very often you don't want full control. I, I even me as an engineer, I. I want Amazon or Google or Microsoft. I, don't, I want somebody else to worry about a lot of the things, right? Yeah. <laughs> I always try to think like, what is the best use of my time? Yeah. And then often I find myself doing things that I think like, why am I even doing this? Like yeah. this, this should not be what I'm doing right now. There's so much more important stuff to do. Yeah, so I, I, I always find myself kind of on the side of like buying it off the shelf. But it, yeah. if it is possible, of course not. If it costs like, yeah, yeah, but a lot, <laughs> a lot of these things are available off the shelf and actually pretty good. And relinquishing some control is not that bad because you don't have time to have yeah. full control. Like. You'll, you'll never, sure, you can spend like three weeks tuning your own database to be perfectly optimal and solve everything, but then you've lost those three weeks and in two, like, in two weeks your situation changes and yeah, you yeah. can start over again. Yeah, so. you, you, you want also, the view I always take is like, will this differentiate you from your competition, yeah. right? You will be differentiated, I guess, and tell me if I'm wrong, you will be differentiated by offering a premier recommender system, which has insane performance. So you mentioned yeah. if performance is super key. That yes, you won't you won't differentiate from competition by using your own. Look how much time I spent on managing this database. Right, right. nobody exactly. cares, right? <laughs> our client really doesn't care if we log our error messages in the most beautiful way possible. Yeah. They're just like, I want to know if something is wrong. Yeah. Period. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. So yeah. All right. 
Cool. So, so maybe let's dive into the recommender systems a bit. I know a little bit about recommender systems and you just said, so this, there's item-based and content-based. Well, no, we, we call it collaborative okay. filtering usually. So that's okay. all of the techniques that use like clickstream data. And collaborative filtering means this user is similar to this user yeah. and this item is similar to yeah, that item. Exactly. That's collaborative filtering. Yeah. And then content-based, that's just called content-based. That's just, well, it's a class of methods that okay. are called content-based, which is just like based on what we have. It can also be on the user, like based on what we have on this user. Like if on my Facebook profile, I clicked like I like music and yeah. Italian food and you clicked music, Italian food and Rome, it will recommend me Rome because yeah, yeah, yeah. you also click that. But so it's, a, it's a manual rules engine that you that you configure. Kind more of, yeah. yeah. So yeah. content based is always like what does the user or the item or whoever created the content supply to you mm. and collaborative filtering does not use any of that out, off the shelf, but it will just be like what has been clicked together or purchased together with. Mm. Okay. All right. Um, and what, what there's, in your... Sorry, yeah, there's other me uh, methods, by the yeah. way, that I'm kind of ignoring right now. But if we get into that, it's going to take way too long. So. <laughs> okay, but these are the two main ones. Yeah, yeah okay. those are, well, biggest in yeah. industry, at least. Okay. And what would you say makes a good collaborative filtering algorithm? Or what, what distinguishes a good one from a bad one? Hmm. Let me think on that. I think, um, as far as algorithms go, it really depends on what you want to get from it mm. um, but what I've learned is even more important is to have like human intervention possible with collaborative filtering algorithms as well so okay. um, what you will see is that we have this concept of the long tail in recommendation so you have like a bunch of items that everyone views or everyone buys and then like shady stuff that no one buys like niche yeah. products yeah. and if you have like only a couple of clicks on those you might end up with like really weird relationships like um, um, some place to like put a, a bunny that certain suddenly relates to like um, beer or something yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. just like one person also bought that thing <laughs> and then also bought beer yeah but a bunny for his son and then bought some beer for himself yeah. maybe yeah, yeah, yeah I can, but I mean I can relate yeah but you <laughs> You don't want to be recommended that thing for your bunny when you're buying beer. Yeah. So um, what I think is important is that you're able to also like kind of constrain what you can get just to make yeah. sure that to a human it makes sense. Because with collaborative filtering, you're relying on your data very much. And that mm. is good because your data knows more than you. Mm. But your end user doesn't know that. So mm. they just see like recommended for you and then there's that thing for that bunny and you're like fuck i'm buying beer leave me alone i mean <laughs> you know what i also find annoying about some recommender systems and i don't know if they do Tell that me. on purpose or not uh, but then I, I i go to one news site and i say uh, you're reading this item these are the top five other items but then like four of the five other items you need like a paid subscription I was like, yeah. but I'm not a paid subscriber here. So are you doing that intentionally to lure me in? or is it? They are probably doing yeah, that okay. intentionally. I mean, the recommender is there to provide business value yeah. to them. So the idea is to keep you on the website long enough and then give you something that you just can't access with your current subscription. So Super you'll have annoying. to upgrade. Super annoying. Like, oh. <laughs> I know. It annoys me too. But I mean, that is, that is not, that has it's, little to do with the recommender. 
and more business with model. Yeah, 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 the I business see. model. I see. Yeah, yeah. Can you also make a random recommender system um, so that uh, when I already clicked an article that you don't recommend it anymore, like that you yeah, take so into account my history? Yeah, yeah. so that's, a, that's actually a really interesting challenge because in some cases you don't want to revisit the same things you already visited, mm. but then in some cases you do. Like if you random, you also have like random click behavior, you know, like you click something accidentally and you want to find it again, but then it disappears. Yeah. Like yeah. If, if we would be integrated on the homepage and you're recommended something once and you click on it accidentally and it's not there again the next time, then that is a bad experience. That's annoying. So it, it's very, it's a very difficult problem. It's one we're, we're tackling right now, which is like oh, okay. when, like when should we recommend things and should mm. we like keep recommending them after you've already viewed them? In what circumstances should we do that? Is it dependent on you as a user? Like, is Chris someone who clicks random items and then wants to visit them again? Or yeah. is he the kind of person that is very determined yeah. and then never like goes to that page again? Or you can look at it from the item perspective. Like, is this an item you visit a couple of times before you buy it or you just like to see it again? Yeah. Or is it not? And so that that's one of the, the things yeah, we're doing right so. now. There's another one which is really interesting that people kind of yeah. never think about, which is how often do you recommend something? It's like the same with cold calling. Like yeah, you might yeah. not pick up the first time and not the second time, but the third time with a cold call or a cold email, you'll pick up the phone and you'll talk to the person. Yeah, It's kind of the same with recommendations. Like I can recommend you something and you won't click it, but not because you're not interested, just because you don't have the time right now or it's inconvenient okay. and stuff like that. Yeah. So to be like to give you an optimal recommendation i should actually try again yeah yeah of course yeah, yeah. and so that's really interesting because you don't want to like try too often if you just keep repeating there like yeah, yeah. saw that already thank you yeah. bye and <laughs> so yeah yeah that makes sense um something can you also do things like if if i'm uh, uh i don't know if i run my own e-commerce website and i come to you like i, I need a recommender system and i know like these, this category of items are really make huge profit and this is like low mm -hmm. profit margin which, which all, all retailers work like yeah. that I guess can you influence the algorithm in such a way that you see more of these high profit margin products in the in the system sure you can but the, yeah. the thing we always try to do is we try to a b test things okay so um, because very often um, there, there's this you know very very many little things also make one big one and it's true. So you kind of have yeah. to find an optimal balance between like, should we recommend this because it has a higher value to us or yeah. should we recommend it because it has a higher value to you? And those are two valid inputs to yeah. the problem. So you just kind of have to weigh them and find the optimal combination of yeah. the both to be able to get a good recommender system because the recommender system is not just there for the user, it's also there for you to create business value. Course, it's the same with the newspaper with the paid articles. Yeah, 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 like yeah, if you'd yeah. let the recommender do its thing, it's probably optimized for like clicks, like yeah. get as many clicks as possible. Yeah. Well, that's one strategy, but that's like the base strategy. Yeah, indeed, but indeed. that's not gonna make you much money as a, as a company. Yeah. No, and indeed, so it makes sense. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's kind of the yeah. same. The paid article or yeah. like higher monetary value of the product to you as a company. Yeah. Although if you take it to the other extreme, I guess the risk is that um, 
it starts to become like spam. Like this is the tenth time you try to re- to sell me these pencils. <laughs> like I don't need these pencils. Go away. But that is kind of I think yeah. how promotional emails work right now. So right now we're in the like we're we're in that place where like retailers or media companies are just pushing the content on you that has the highest monetary value to you uh, mm. to them not mm. to you yeah to but them like yeah. to them and they they'll they'll tell you like it's interesting for you and chosen specifically and la di da di da but it's not I mean they're just trying to push the stuff towards you yeah that happens and, yeah of yeah. course I mean. Yeah. Do you open a promotional email sometimes? Not a lot, but yeah. 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 Well, that's how I would do it, probably. Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah, I don't yeah, really blame yeah, them. Yeah. But and that's probably what you do there. And then on the other hand, you have the recommender system, which will just be like, whatever the user wants, we'll give it to them. Yeah. Which is also not optimal. So no, you indeed, have to, indeed. You have to be somewhere in between. Yeah. But then finding what that sweet spot is for your company or your service or whatever. That's, that's the hard part. That's, yeah, yeah, that's where we spend a lot of our yeah. time. And then maybe one, 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 let's say, pet peeve I have with, with uh, recommendation algorithms uh, probably happened to you as well when you go to Amazon and you buy something like I buy whiteboard markers. I check out, I pay for them. And then immediately you see a recommendation of like 10 other sets of whiteboard markers. Like after you found yeah. them? Yeah. That's weird. Have you never seen that? No, but I thought they did it before. Like when you want to check out, if you scroll down, you have like similar items to this or bought together with this. Then as well, but even and and it happened a lot. Or well, I I just bought a printer. You might also be interested in these ten printers. No, I ah, just yeah, bought a no. printer. I don't know. Yeah, they no. think like it's <laughs> kind of like retargeting. Like they yeah. they weren't smart enough to yeah. figure out that you yeah. actually bought the product. Yeah, and for some products you might need more. Yeah, uh, for, but for some like a printer, you buy once and then. Yeah, we we try to make a dis- like a distinction between consumption mm. and just views. Like mm. you can view a whiteboard marker, not buy it, and that is probably a signal that you didn't find what you were looking for. So we should target you with more whiteboard. Yeah, markers. alternatives. Like yeah, that. alternatives. Yeah, like, yeah, have exactly. you considered this? This one's cheaper. Whatever mm. works for mm. for that user. But then there's consumption, and a consumption is something that is more rare. Mm. It's not that it like your whiteboard markers will run out at some point. You'll yeah. need new whiteboard markers, but you don't need them now because you just bought them. So that is also one thing, like we try to distinguish consumption from just yeah. a view. And we always like subtract the consumption from the yeah. view to make sure that you're not like recommended that thing again. Yeah. But it's also not good to say like, you'll never be recommended whiteboard markers again, no. because then you also lose an opportunity. Yeah, so. indeed. And I guess the trick is to try to understand like how frequently in general yeah. do people need whiteboard markers? Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right, cool. Um, did you also want to talk about like the impact of recommender systems and how you see that on society and things like that? Yeah, sure. Hmm. Um, so I like, I kind of like what what i do right now because it's it's like a it's like a weird balance between like some people say like oh you're targeting me so that i will consume more which is totally true Mm -hmm. (laughs) but then on the other hand people want to consume and i'm much happier with like a personalized email that actually gets me than being like like sent like an email every day while i only buy like yeah 
whatever, like shoes. I only buy them every three months, but I, I receive an email. <laughs> ah, thanks, Chris. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you I'm sorry, email? only I mean, every, yeah. every two years, you yeah. know? No, 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 I'm just kidding, yeah. yeah. No, but yeah. so yeah. a lot of the promotional emails right now and everything is like, it comes way too often and I spend, I find myself, even though I ignore most of them, like still spending way too much time looking through them and, and seeing if there may be something and so yeah. yeah I'd be much happier if stuff was a little more personalized so I could find what I needed yeah. sooner yeah no I well for email I've completely given up like all my <laughs> promo emails I don't care I never read them I, I never um, but it does work I mean recommender systems for me work very well on websites what, what I like about recommender systems is that I I, I let's say whiteboard markers I, I know I need a whiteboard marker so I, I just find the first one and that I that I google I click but then you also see that below like these are the 10 other options yeah and then all of a sudden I like my my maybe sometimes it's a stress of of too many choices that I also don't like but at least you know like okay it's this option but yeah. these are twice as expensive but they have all of these properties whatever yeah. um, it feels like it's it's guiding me towards the right purchase. Just like you had a yeah, sales exactly. sales guy in a normal shop, like, oh, you're looking for a TV, what kind of TV? And then, mm -hmm. and then you, you you go further and further and further until you, I have the idea, maybe, maybe it's just um, me convincing myself of that fact, but I have the idea that after a relatively quick search, I go to the, the right spot for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, yeah, that's I like. the idea. I think time yeah. is like, it's so scarce at the moment that yeah. you need to make the best possible use of it yeah. and still I find myself on a lot of websites that are not personalized like scrolling through like 5,000 t-shirts before I finally find one well actually I see my boyfriend doing that a lot like he's very picky about what he likes <laughs> and <laughs> then he's on Zalando and he's yeah. just scrolling endlessly and then after an hour oh, he gets so it. tired of it and that. he just gives up yeah of course and yeah. and I understand because yeah. that's a really frustrating experience yeah. and that's kind of what I'm trying to like help <laughs> yeah indeed well, I, I would definitely pay for a service that guides me through my shopping experience yeah. right? you do that for for technology but even I'm, I'm not a big clothes shopper to be honest i don't know if you can tell but anyway but, <laughs> but I, I i used to have this personalized service from i forgot the name of the company but they would send me oh the, uh, the one that would send you like a box of yeah, 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 indeed, yeah. Oh, indeed. i don't remember the name uh, there were a few of those but anyway yeah. I, I got a box every month and then i get to choose which clothes i i kept and which yeah. one uh, got um, I didn't want and then over time because they get to know my taste and they also I had the feeling that they were thinking with me like who's this person yeah, and, blah, exactly. and they, they recommend new stuff and then yeah it's, that it's worked it's kind of like yeah. having a per the ideal recommender system would be like a personal assistant a personal shopper or like a shopkeeper of like a boutique store where you just come in and you feel like they're taking care of you absolutely that would be the yeah. optimal I think Right now, people are still thinking of recommender systems too much as something that will intrude on their privacy and everything. Uh, and, and I get it, maybe, but yeah. uh, like the way we handle data, it, it's not like yeah. I can, I don't know who's on the other hand, end of the recommendation. I have no idea. Yeah. I, I never and really, you don't care either. And right? I don't care either, right? <laughs> That's not my point. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah and I, I, the, 
yeah that's really my goal like to make it feel like it's kind of like your personal assistant like yeah. it's a service to you yeah and not like the it. other way around so yeah, yeah, yeah. it's also i, I guess in uh, uh, working for a few clients in public transport and there we try to create the same effect where uh, you want a personalized recommendation on what's your mode of transportation you're going to mm -hmm. take now you're going to take this bus where are you going to take the bus and where do you want to go now without it's the exact same story like I don't care about you as an individual I don't want to know where you're going yeah. I just want to help you get on get on the right mode of transportation right yeah um, exactly and me also as on the other side of that equation if me as a customer I value GDPR a lot I think it's mm -hmm. a big big important thing that happened so I also uh, want to adjust my preferences like who gets my data and who doesn't and for me everybody has their own rule right but for me the rule is very simple if if you give me a better service if i can get value from you looking at my data then go ahead right yeah. if it's just to crunch my data and sell it to some third party so i can get some spam about an insurance yeah. three months from now i i don't care i don't want you to have my data but if you can give me a better experience yeah do it yeah why not i think that right now so a lot of personalization is already being done in advertising and I yeah. think that if like retailers and media companies start adopting recommender systems more, they might need less of that. Because right now they're spending a whole lot of their money in advertising and yeah. like targeting people with their products, well, letting others target people with their products actually. And they, they pay a lot of money for that. And, and it doesn't like, it's not, the conversion is not that great. Yeah. Whereas if they could just make sure that the clients want to come to their website, because it's just so easy to get what they want yeah. from there. Yeah. And you're a trusted partner. Yeah, you're kind of, I, yeah. I want the, like, the same way you have those trusted brands right now, like you can go to Dorofs and find your perfect shoe or something. Yeah. I want to have that effect online as well, where there's, because right now it's just like a, like a, price for waging like it's yeah. the only thing you do online is you you see an advertisement and then you see like and you can buy it here and there and there for like that yeah, amount yeah, of yeah, money yeah, yeah. like if we can take a little bit of money away from the people doing that and just make sure that you don't mm. have to go through google to find what you need but you can just mm. go to the website the same way you would go to the store and just know that you'll find what you need i think that would mm. just be great well for me but that's very personal for me cool cool blue does that for me like when yeah. i need technology i go to cool blue first See? and yeah. i don't do price comparison and maybe like some people will find that stupid but to to me cool blue is a trusted partner i yeah. have the feeling that they guide me through what i need and then I'm exactly like, yeah. Uh, yeah so and, and actually a lot of people also i don't know what your view on that is but if you just go normal supermarket shopping a lot of people have their at least i do have their favorite supermarket brand Mm -hmm. And they do like 90% of the shopping in their supermarket, yeah. right? Because it's, you're not going to, well, I know some people do, but most people I know, they just go, I need all of this. I need all of that from one store. I don't care if the cucumbers are like 10 cents off here and the Coke is 50 cents off there. I just no, exactly. go to the supermarket, yeah. fill my... Uh, uh. And that's not what happens online. And that I think that's part of the reason there's just so much competition on prices because it's like nobody differentiates in any other way than just the prices yeah that's a that's a battle you can never win right yeah and, and yeah. it is indeed a battle you can never win and especially yeah. not if you're what like one of the smaller ones yeah. so that's yeah. why i think yeah. that personalization can be actually more meaningful to like 
smaller uh, retailers than it is to the bigger ones. Just because like they cannot win that price war, they should just stop trying and focus on like delivering online what they do in their stores, which mm. is being a trusted partner. Yeah. Do you also think then that um, so for the smaller retailers that they should they should have a niche like focus on this is the one thing that you really know a lot about and that's what you should sell or I think it uh, I don't really feel comfortable saying that because mm. I, I think it really depends on like I always try to start from a position where I'm like okay you're the experts on your company I'm the expert on recommender systems you tell me what your company yeah. does and what you do best and I'll make sure you get a recommender system that works to deliver that value so I, I I don't know should they focus on a niche it depends it depends what you define as a niche yeah well, well maybe for instance I run a web shop only for earrings it's a possibility yeah yeah but you're not opinionated about that you're not yeah. really no yeah. okay I but, think well mm. from my personal perspective I think that you need a certain amount of volume to be able to do anything and i do like it like same as with the supermarket why do you go to the supermarket and you you do not go to like your local tomato farmer and then to your local like um, spinach farmer <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you want to find everything you need yeah. together like all at once yeah. yeah and that's also something that recommenders can really help you with yeah I'm sure they can recommend other earrings but they can also like recommend the necklace to go with that earring and as soon as you have that set it can recommend you like a dress to go with. yeah indeed. so if you don't have like at least a little bit of volume yeah, I'm not yeah sure indeed. if it really yeah no it makes a lot of sense what you're saying yeah, yeah, yeah okay but then you also said that when when there's a new client on morning you first go to the client and understand what, what do you specialize in or what you're really good at so does that mean that um your, you, tail, you always tailor the recommender system to the client. It's never an off-the-shelf product where you click next, 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 next. next no, 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 not at all. Because yeah. I, I don't yeah. really believe that works and it's also really not the philosophy of like Fumal as a company. Okay. It, I, I really think that depending on one, what you're trying to get from the, the recommender system and two, who you are as a company, you should really approach it differently. Because, hmm. for example, one client may be like, very tech savvy and very well known for that so they can get away with having like their recommender run wild on the website as, as long as they communicate clear, clearly about it yeah but then you have another company that's like trying to target like maybe an older audience much more conservative there you need to be really careful with what you recommend and like kind of explain why you're recommending that just to make sure that your your audience does not feel like yeah. scared away by what you're doing so okay cool and and very often there, there's many ways to use a recommender system like depending on different pages amazon will show you like similar items or pardon me just recommend it for you or complimentary yeah uh, stuff like that so, oh people also bought and that's like like yeah. accessories and stuff like that. That's also what yeah. I find very useful sometimes. Yeah, see, but so there's there's also different yeah. types of people. Like yeah. for you and me, people also bought will kind of satisfy that need we have for making sure that we're buying the right product. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas just like some one that says similar and then just shows like all of the different products with different prices might 
kind of satisfy someone who's more like I want to make sure I get the cheapest one yeah, yeah, yeah and then yeah. so everyone's a little different so every recommendation is a little different and depending on the brand mm. you should also approach it differently cool cool all right um, so maybe one last thing about well your work at Frumel is that you're also doing a PhD at Frumel yeah. so on top of the, <laughs> on top of it all can you explain in like layman's terms what are you what's your yeah. uh, research area and sure. what you're focusing yeah. on? Yeah, so um, that's kind of how they they lured me in at Formal because I was freelancing <laughs> before that and I came in to do one small freelance project for them, which was uh, personalizing the search engine on the VTM uh, website, so a big media brand uh, yeah. in Belgium, and um, it was just really really fun to work on that because especially in in like uh, recommend uh, well searching for products or videos or stuff like that there's a lot to be done with uh, like personalizing your results if yeah, you're of course. if you're like browsing on Google and you search for something then if I type in um, Napoleon and you type in Napoleon we'll both be satisfied if we see Wikipedia on top mm, probably because mm, mm. we're trying to satisfy an information need but when you're trying to buy something or find something to watch that night on Netflix, there's a lot more parameters to play with. Um, yeah, well, Netflix in particular, I think the search on Netflix is not that good, right? No, but so it's it not personalized be. right now. No. <laughs> no, it's not. It's just simple, like yeah. text matching. Yeah. 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 And so you see really weird stuff happening there. Like um, what we noticed is if you. Well, if you just search for um, family on yeah. VTM, if depending on how often the word is repeated in the description, it will like pop up higher, even if it's like a video that was posted five years ago and nobody has watched it since. Yeah, so so that's completely meaningless, right? Yeah, nobody cares exactly. about that. Yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of value there to be had from personalization, and and that's kind of what the the PhD is about. So we did it for VTM, and I mean, it works fine. <laughs> Work cool. really Congrats. works really well, yeah. but we noticed that there's so much like unsolved problems there. There's so much mm -hmm. yet to be discovered, and that's the the subject of the PhD. All right, cool. So it's combining the knowledge that they have at Frumel because it was founded by a professor, Bachutals, and his PhD student Kunverstepe. Uh, they have a lot of knowledge on recommender systems. I dabble in search, and then we're trying to bring all of that <laughs> you together. Dabble in search, yeah, yeah, because that's also what you did at the, G at the Acton yeah, of GSK, the right? Yeah, 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 so it all comes together. Didn't know that that Kuhn was a student of. Uh, yeah, yeah, originally, uh, so they started a spin-off together. All right, yeah. nice. All right, cool. Um, so maybe looking back on, uh, well, even though you've only been in the game for three years, I think you've done a lot of different things already. Um, uh, you also have a very cool track record, I mean, so congratulations <laughs> about that. Are there things, uh, this is a cliche question, but are there, uh, do you have some lessons learned looking back at, if I only knew this two years ago, or if I only knew this at the start of my study, that what are the things that you look different at today than, than a couple of years ago? I, I think mostly I learned that everything takes time. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> That's a very Zen Buddhist thing to say. <laughs> Yeah. I'm still learning, but no, yeah. it's like I was very impatient when I started working. I th I thought things would like come to me, you know, yeah. like I would learn and learn and learn and keep on learning, and then soon I would get there, and then I would just continue learning. And it, everything takes a little bit of time. You can't expect things to be better, like poof, just like that. 
And so I think that's like my biggest lesson learned. And the second thing is that simple things work. That's the most oh, important one. Yeah, yeah absolutely, absolutely. Because there's there's a lot of focus right now, especially in data science, on like having the coolest deep learning algorithm or whatever. And sure, that's great, but it's kind of like you know an engineer playing with his own own managed Kafka. It's yeah. great, but the business value is zero. Yeah. I feel the same way about a lot of deep learning menus. I see, I see apps popping up that are like, yeah, we built this, it's a deep learning algorithm and it, like it's video streaming and then you point it at something and it will tell you what type of, like, what type of bottle of water this is. And I'm like, great. You can also look at the bottle. Yeah, you can also <laughs> just look at the bottle. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it would be like if yeah. one of the supermarkets would come up with an app that if you like take a picture of something, it will automatically detect what it is and put it in your basket. I would spend a lot more time taking pictures of stuff I wanted to buy yeah. than me just like putting in my basket for yeah, yeah, next yeah. week. So, yeah. and and that that is just like, yeah. it's just a bunch of engineers or a bunch of data scientists that are like having a fun time on the playground. But yeah. I don't think a lot of business value is created that way. But it's also so I don't know how you look at that, but sometimes it's also the other way around. I, I heard a statistic the other day that forty percent of AI startups. They don't actually do AI. No, no, exactly. So, so it's just marketeers hyping eh, AI. Yeah. You do a sum and a maximum. But, yeah, that's AI. Yeah, so, exactly. No, it's, a, so it's an aggregate. It's, it's like yeah. both things. Like on yeah. the one hand, you have the data scientists that are like being totally hyped up with deep learning and doing the coolest stuff. And then they go and work for companies where the clients really don't need more than just a mean or a standard deviation from the mean. And and there's nothing wrong with that, right? Sure, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it, but there's yeah. just like... Yeah, there's, there's a there's gap a, between there's, the yeah, two. There's, there's an expectation gap. gap. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also the, that same expectation gap with the customer because like the scientist wants to be doing cool stuff. He's actually just doing very, very simple statistics. But the marketeer that talks to the client will then say they're doing the most awesome AI. There's this... There's other quote that says, um, "If it runs in Python, it's data science. If it runs on the on, on PowerPoint, it's AI." Yeah, well, <laughs> it is kind of true, and I don't like using the term myself. If you will ask me, does Fumel do AI? Yeah. I like. I know I'm supposed to say yes because it's in the pitch, but I would yeah. not say yes because AI for me is a meaningless word. Yeah. What we do yeah. is we bring value with data. Yeah. That's the end of it. Yeah. No, it makes sense. Although you could also argue that bringing value with data, everybody says they do it. Like the large consultancies bring value with data. I mean, your accountant brings value with data. I mean, yeah, you recommend okay, yeah. true. It's, it's a bit, we're struggling with the same, to be clear. We very, we struggle a lot with, Chris, can you tell me in one sentence what data mind does? We create value from data. No, 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 no. That's not, that's <laughs> okay, true. But then what is the right way to describe it? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's, it's another as, topic, as I guess. As long as I don't have to say AI, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Um, and then maybe let's wrap up with, if you look forward, so imagine the world two years, five years, ten years from now, what, what do you think the trends that you see today that will that will even explode, will keep on growing, and what are the things, are there things that you see going away? How do you see the future of, well, recommended systems, I guess? 
I really don't know. I, I, I know that right now, I think um, recommender systems are given a chance mostly because of that AI innovation budget that the big companies have. And I really hope that we're not heading into another AI winter, as they call it, where yeah. you know the expectations didn't match uh, yeah. with the actual outcomes and, and people will stop believing in it because, yeah. like I said, simple things really work and there's a lot of value to be created by using simple things. Yeah. But um, if you ask me where I want to be going like in five years, I really hope that instead of like waging price wars and stuff like that, a lot of companies will start like focusing on their true values and, and their core business again yeah. and then use technology, not just recommender systems, but any kind of technology to support them in, in that goal. That yeah. would be like my yeah, it's very my cool. perfect future it's very cool. in five years. And indeed, and as, as you said, have things like recommender systems be more like personal assistance to you yeah. right, that guide you through your yeah, exactly. journey. Well, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, thanks very much to, to take the time, uh, make time available for us. And then uh, good luck with the rest of your journey. Thank you, Kurt. Thank you. <laughs> Bye.